We're in our warfare series still. This is the third third part. I'd say third hour, but I preach longer than an hour, so this is actually like the fourth hour. Just kidding. And uh, tonight we're talking about that there's a fight for your heart. First session we talked about just coming into an awareness of the spiritual warfare that we're all engaged in on a day-to-day basis. How many of you are aware that there's a fight going on in the spirit, in the air around you day in and day out? And the kingdoms of light and darkness are constantly clashing. But how many of you know that Jesus has overcome the kingdom of darkness, hell, sin, death, and the grave? And he's given us now the ability to fight from a place of victory, not for victory. And we've talked a little bit about how we have to learn that this fight that we're engaging in, first, that it exists, and then second, what kind of fight it is. In our second session together, we talked about that this fight, this warfare that we're engaged in, this spiritual warfare, is a fight of faith. And that the enemy is always attacking the Word of God in our lives and specifically getting us to abort God's word in our lives, getting us to dig up the seed of God's word, and that is his people, as God's people, we need to come into a place of receiving what God says in faith and being a little bit stubborn about it, not letting ourselves abort or dismiss or relinquish that seed of God's word in our life, but to keep that planted, and we know that if we allow that seed to remain planted, that it will bear fruit in season. Can I get an amen? Amen. So tonight I want to talk about the battleground of where this fight takes place, this invisible spiritual fight that's in the air around us. We know it's a fight of faith, but where is this battleground located? At at, at what plane, at what field, at what geographical location is this war between light and dark, good and evil going on? And I talked to you in our first session about the nature of the spirit realm is that it's constantly seeking an avenue by which it can materialize itself. The Holy Spirit wants us to be surrendered vessels and to give access to Christ in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit wants to shed abroad the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And he wants that to take up residency in our hearts because how many of you know that Proverbs tells us in chapter 4, verse 23, listen to this in the uh, Passion Translation. It says, so above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Some other more common translations read this way, that you have to guard your heart with all diligence because it's out from your heart that the course, the direction, the quality of your life is determined. There's nothing that's going on in your life right now, good, bad, or indifferent, that doesn't have some kind of an anchoring place in your heart. This fight that we're fighting, this fight of faith, this supernatural fight, is a fight for your heart. It's a fight for controlling this pristine piece of geography that we all have on the inside of us called our hearts. The enemy seeks to be able to control and dominate our hearts so that he can materialize his kingdom of death, darkness, and destruction into the world. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit needs willing people to manifest God's kingdom in the world? And the devil also needs willing people to manifest the kingdom of darkness into the world. In fact, evil at work in the world today is exclusively being worked in and through human beings. 
At the cross, Jesus stripped the devil personally of all power and all authority. The scripture says that he made a public spectacle of him. But the enemy knows that there's been delegated authority. Delegated authority. There's been authority placed on humankind. The scriptures tell us that the earth, that the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He's handed over to the sons of men. And we see in the Garden of Eden this template that God told Adam and Eve that part of their commission, as many versions of Himself, because God made man in His own image according to His own likeness. He said that He wanted them to take dominion to have authority, to be fruitful, and to multiply. And there's this authority, there's this God-given authority that mankind has in the world today. And in accordance with the book of Deuteronomy, God has set before mankind two choices, life and death, blessings and cursings. And we know that God wants us to choose life so that we can prosper, so that our communities can prosper, so that our families can prosper. But have any of you ever ran into an individual that's making the choice that's not life, that's choosing to allow death to manifest through them, either by willful choice or just by ignorance? Have you ever been in a place in your life where you were making a choice either out of willful rebellion or just spiritual ignorance to allow the enemy to manifest his kingdom things in and through your behaviors, actions, and attitudes. We've all been there. I'm so thankful for Jesus and that accordance with Old Testament prophecy that a day has come and is now fulfilled in Christ that God's given us a new heart. And he's taken out this stony, cold heart that's unresponsive to the tender whisperings of the Holy Spirit. And when we make a decision to say yes to Jesus and we become born again, that the word says, the word of God says that the Holy Spirit quickens us to life, quickens our spirits to life. The heart is connected to this innermost being, the heart. And when we talk about the heart, we're not talking about the cardiovascular muscle that pumps blood throughout our body. We're talking about in the Hebrew when we know and understand what that word heart means. Where It means the innermost seat of your emotions, your thoughts, your will, your attitudes. And we have these kingdoms that work in our life. We have these things happening in the air around us that's seeking to materialize itself, the things of the enemy to kill, steal, and destroy. How many of you know that if a high school student walks into his high school with a machine gun and mows people down, that's the demonic fight manifesting through a person to bring death and destruction into the world? How many of you know whenever that same kid that wants to come and kill all of his classmates has an encounter with a spirit-filled, born-again believer that's able to look at him in the eyes a week before it happened at a grocery store. And by an unction of the Spirit of God said, I need you to know that you matter and that you're important and that you're valuable and that Jesus loves you. How many of you know that a simple act of kindness under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit has the capacity to ward off even the darkest death and destruction? If the enemy is able to use years of bullying, years of abuse at home to build something unhealthy in a young person's heart that eventually leads to a manifestation of death and violence, then I believe that the kingdom of God is more powerful. I believe that the kingdom of God is superior. And I believe that spiritual Christians that are aware of spiritual realities around themselves and around others have the ability to speak into a situation that the devil wills to manifest, manifest death, darkness, and destruction and bring God's kingdom realm and change lives. 
and change lives. It's always a battleground for the heart. Because out of our hearts, the things and our decisions and actions and our emotions and the abilities and our desires all manifest into our words, our actions, and our behaviors. But there's never been anything good or evil that wasn't first thought about and planted in somebody's heart before it became a reality that we could observe, we could see. There's this invisible thing going in the hearts of all of us. And we have to pay attention to what the battleground of our heart looks like. We have to pay attention and we have to ask the Lord to begin to show us and to give us clues based upon the health of our souls. We have to ask the Lord to reveal to us, to speak to us, to show us by divine revelation of of whether or not what we're letting in and out of our heart is healthy because it matters. So above all, guard the affections of your heart for they affect all that you are and pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being for from there flows the wellspring of life. See, I have this charge as a pastor, I have this commission as a pastor, and it's not one that I made up because whether you know it or not, the Christian faith isn't something that we make up. It's something that we inherit. And my role as a pastor isn't something that I get to make up. It's something that there's 2,000 years of church history that paints a picture of what this is supposed to look like. And how many of you know that the Bible testifies of some good pastors, young pastors, like Timothy? And Paul has these Letters that he writes to Timothy to begin to mentor him and to shake, shape him as he's leading a congregation. And being a young pastor, I often find myself reflecting on Paul's writings. And I'm letting the words and instructions of the Apostle Paul, thousands of years ago, instruct me in my day to day. And one of the charges and commissions that I have from church fathers that have gone before me and church fathers that are living now that speak into my life is this passage that we read in Hebrews Chapter 13, verses 14 through 17. And I'm going to skip, and it's really good for you to just get perspective. And this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I'm going to take it just for a moment. I'm going to give you a tip in regards to waging good warfare, fighting a good fight of faith, and keeping a good, a good fight going in regards to you guarding your heart. You have to start thinking based upon the timeline of eternity and get your mind out of the temporary. Because there's some fights that you're fighting that are not worth it. Okay, another talk for another day. Verse 17, Hebrews chapter 13. This is a commission that I have as a pastor, as a spiritual leader in your life. And I take it seriously and it shapes what I present to you and what conversations I have with you and what counseling sessions look like with me. I mean with Pastor Randy because he's who you want to go to for counseling. And obey your leaders. And submit to them. Okay? That's your part. Amen? Need a better amen. Okay, let's back up and put this. Okay? Let me read it this way. Obey Pastor Dwayne and submit to him. Okay, there you. I knew I'd get a better response. The jury's still out on me. For they're keeping watch over your souls. Who's keeping watch over your souls? Spiritual leaders in your life. I have a job. I have a commission from the Lord that he's going to hold me accountable to one day. And that's to help... You keep watch over your soul, over your innermost being, over your heart, over what's coming in and out of your heart. And I don't know if you've ever actually tried to guard your heart before, but the best verb that we could use to describe it is fight. It's a fight to guard your heart. 
It's easy to get offended. It's easy to feel sorry for yourself. It's easy to build a case against somebody that you don't like. It's easy to recycle violence and hate. It's hard to be a peacemaker. See, here's the thing that you need to know is that if I have this, if I have this responsibility to help you keep watch over your soul, then what we have to do is we have to pay attention to what's going on in the air around us and what effect it's having on us. We have just come out of a major election in the United States. I know that there's mixed emotions on how that election went down. It's good things in some areas, some things that lead to some trouble and some concern in some other areas. But I, I, I love this thing that I heard the late and still great Eugene Peterson say in an interview that he did. This is actually the last interview that he gave. And if you don't know who Eugene Peterson is, Eugene Peterson is one of the greatest theological voices of our time. He's considered the ultimate pastor of pastors. And he pastored a congregation for many years outside of Baltimore, Maryland. And in the late 60s, when he was pastoring, specifically in 1968, there were race riots that were happening in Baltimore. You understand that racism and riots aren't anything new to the 21st century, right? Human behavior is not new. It's old. We live in a time that is broadcast widely, which is why you need to pay attention to what you're focusing on. Because if the news is where you spend your face buried instead of God's word, you're going to have heart issues. And if the demonized political climate is where you allow your emotions to be controlled, you're going to have heart issues. Is everybody with me? Eugene Peterson said this, and I want to connect this to what I just read to you in Hebrews about spiritual leaders supposed to be partnering with you to keep watch over your souls. He said this, during the 1968 race riots in Baltimore, people were worried about what was happening in the city, but I was worried about what was happening in the people. So I'm going to read it to you one more time. During the 1968 race riots in Baltimore, people were worried. This is Eugene Peterson's words. Pastor of pastors, a true spiritual father. He's a spiritual grandfather in the faith. Heavy hitter in the kingdom of God that has run his race well and is now standing in front of the completion of his joy, Jesus Christ, which is like the ultimate goal. Is anybody else really excited to see Jesus face to face? Okay. You know, Jesus and his lordship doesn't get determined by an election. Never. Jesus is not king elect. And I'm so glad that we don't have to have a house majority to make sure that Jesus stays in office. But there's something about a supercharged political climate that lends people to start being led by a political spirit instead of the Holy Spirit. And I love what this series is that pastors just brought to us in such wisdom and such boldness and such truth. And one of the things that he drove home was a point in regards to passion for God. And he said that passion for God will be the thing that acts as a filter for our politics. And if we're not careful, if we allow ourselves and our emotions to be more controlled by red or blue seats, by elephants or donkeys, 
If we allow our emotions to be controlled by legislations, then what we're doing is we've actually given up ground of our heart that's supposed to be controlled by Christ. I'm not going to preach anything controversial tonight in case you're wondering. That's Pastor Dwayne's job. I get to talk about the easy stuff. It's the simple stuff. Should be. Eugene Pearson said, I was more concerned about what was happening in the people. Every election season, I see a lot of people getting really concerned about what's going to happen in our cities, our states, and our country. And I totally agree that we need to exercise wisdom and discernment and vote our conscience and all those things. But when I see Christians start to act like they're not Christians because of political charged climates. I start to worry not about what's happening in the city or in the country. I start to worry about what's happening in the people because the last time I checked, it's the people that make up the city, the states, and the countries. Last time I checked. And there's this battleground for our heart that we have to be intentionally aware of and we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we allowing to influence our worldview? What are we allowing to influence whether or not we have peace? What are we allowing to influence the way that we look at the future? What are the, what are the things that we're allowing to influence the confidence that we're called to walk in as Christians? You know, I understand that there's some turmoil in regards to what's happening in our country right now, but I feel like i got to bring some perspective to the house of God and to help us understand that There's a time and a season that these writings come from that are shaping the way that we view Christianity today. And the time and period where these writings were coming from was coming from a time in which the majority of Paul's writing happened in a time and place where the Roman emperor was a man by the name of Nero. I don't know if you know about Emperor Nero, but Emperor Nero was not a nice fella. Emperor Nero was way worse than a donkey. Emperor Nero was taking the Christians and using them, their physical bodies, as lanterns to light his dinner parties. Emperor Nero was taking the Christians and feeding them to the lions. Some major persecution, some heavy-hitting stuff going on, and we have to have discernment to realize that those days are totally able to happen again. And that comes back to our conscience and what we're allowing our Votes to why we want our votes to matter and why we want to pursue and sustain religious freedoms and all those kinds of things. But I need us to put ourselves into perspective that if we get totally shook up in God's faithfulness and His character and worry and anger and fear start dominating our hearts because we didn't see what we wanted to see in the House of Representatives, then we've got some misaligned trust. Paul said things like, pray for the emperor. Paul said things like, in 1 Timothy, I saw Merritt post this earlier today in the, in the Bible app. You highlighted something in 1 or 2 Timothy about praying for people that were in authority over you, that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. And the connotation there in the Greek is that Paul is actually writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he's instructing him on how to teach his congregation. And he's saying... Regardless of who's in political power over you, your job is to pray for them so that they might so that you might live a quiet and peaceable life. And at that time when that letter was written, the the man in leadership was Nero. You understand perspective? 
You understand that if we allow ourselves to be moved emotionally and that, man, it's not going to get any better if we allow ourselves to give up the fight of faith even in regards to what's happening in our country because election results don't go exactly the way that we want them to, then at the end of the day, we say that God is secondary to Congress. And last time I checked, that's not true. I believe that God's given us delegated authority, but at the end of the day, what I know and understand and realize is that there was a time in that time and place that the writings of the scriptures come to us, that Roman rule was hard. Christians were killed daily, crucified, tortured, and killed. And it was this beautiful thing that happened is that these company of people that were following Christ, they kept paying their taxes They kept being law-abiding citizens. They kept doing the things that they found their hands to be doing. They kept faithfully assembling together in the temples, at home. They kept following Jesus so consistently. They kept abounding in good works. They kept abounding in prayer. They kept their faith. And in doing so, roughly 250 years post-Christ, the entire Roman Empire that once persecuted Christians converted to Christianity from the emperor down. I I just think that sometimes we have to have perspective and understand that when one election doesn't go entirely the way that we want, Christians are in it for the long game. That this fight isn't a sprint, it's a marathon run. And what happens whenever, whenever we see things in the culture around us that frighten us, and we see things in the culture around us that aren't lining up with our morals and our values, yes, it's time to stand up and to speak forth the truth and to stand up for righteousness sake and to stand up in boldness but it's also time to understand and know that God has a funny way of working all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose and even if push comes to shove and despite our prayer despite our interceding despite our vote casting there comes a day in this country where Christians are persecuted at that level I've got news for you that even then it's not over Well, the church is persecuted the hardest around the world. It's in those regions that the church is the strongest. There's this funny thing about whenever pressure is responded to people, when pressure is applied to people of faith, if we've done a good job of making sure that our hearts are filled up with the kingdom of God, the more pressure that's applied, the more the kingdom tends to leak out. So I think in a time of us being able to be easily led by emotions rather than the Holy Spirit, and for us to take any sign of our Christian values and virtues not going as forward and not being as driven as hard into the nation's capital as we would like it to be, it's easy for us to allow our politics to surpass our passion for God. And I'm so thankful for a pastor that would put things into order and say, at the end of the day, we have to be more passionate about God than we are our politics. And what I'd love to see in a company of people and what I'd love to see in the church that I'm committed to pastoring is that we would grow daily in our passion for God regardless if the political process continues to erode. And I know Christians that are more controlled by election results than they are the gospel. And I, know, and I know Christians that have become so deceived and under the leadership of a political spirit 
that their emotions have become manipulated to a place that they justify acting outside of Christian virtue. And what ends up happening is that these people end up trusting in princes rather than the prince of peace. And Psalm chapter 146 verse 3 says, do not put your trust in princes, in an earthly man that has no power to save. And whenever we allow ourselves to become politicized more than passionized for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we allow ourselves to live under the tyranny of a spirit that we're not called to live under. Paul said, I've learned to be content in every circumstance, whether I have much or I have plenty. Because you see, the thing that really governs me at the end of the day are the laws of the kingdom of God. And the reason why there's been martyrs for 2,000 years is that no matter what the political environment tried to thrust on them, they decided that they were going to live free because Jesus had died for them to be that way. And see, there was no amount of legislation, persecution, prosecution, or execution that could get them from shutting up about Jesus. But it had to be actually witnessing of Jesus. And what I see too often especially when things don't go our way, is that Christians, a lot of times, will start responding in a way that's outside of their Christian values. Because, you see, here's the thing that happens, is that whenever we don't see what we want in our culture, in our politics, in our homes, in our families, you can apply this down to whatever level, I'm just making use of the election being yesterday, We don't see what we want in our relationships when we don't see God's will being manifested and we don't see the truth of what we know to be right on display. We fall into, a lot of times, a trap of responding in a way that's very similar to the people and the groups that we don't like. Whenever things don't go exactly the way we want them to go and it leads to Christians angrily protesting, that's more of the same, not testifying of the age that's coming. Whenever we don't see the things that we want to see the way we want them to see, and it leads to people now justifying and spiritualizing hate in their heart. I'm not talking the people that we don't agree with. I'm talking about Christians. If lost people give me their ear, I'll talk to them. But the majority of my time, I'm talking to saved people. It's part of my job. My primary job is to help keep watch over your souls. But I've talked to people that are angry with the way that certain groups in this country are operating because of their intolerance, because of their hate, because of their bigotry. But then when I talk to them, they hate the group as much as the group hates them. And I never see a scriptural justification in the scripture for us absorbing hate and violence from others and recycling hate and violence back to them. What I see a scriptural case for is Christians absorbing hate and violence and releasing peace. Because you see, the thing that Jesus said in the Beatitudes was is that we were actually called to be peacemakers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons and daughters of God. And see, in one sense, we run into some Christians on the other end of the spectrum that think that we're called to be peacekeepers. And Jesus never said we're called to keep peace. He said we're called to make peace. See, peacekeeping Christians don't want to say anything to offend anybody. Peacekeeping Christians just want to continually bite their tongue in regards to the truth so that everybody can like them. 
And that's equally as unchristian as responding in hate and violence towards people that don't agree with you. So we have to follow a model, and the model is that of Christ, and the model is that of the church leaders that have gone on before us, and this fight that they had to fight in their day, because how many of you know that this fight for your heart isn't something that's new to us? It's something that's been happening for a long time. This fight for our hearts and this fight to try to get things into our hearts to lead and guide our behavior more than the ways and teachings of Christ is not something new to our hour. Jesus had to walk this out with his disciples. They were walking about and they were going from town to town preaching and there was one particular town that did not receive Jesus' message and two gung-ho disciples Two charismatic, spirit-filled disciples, they said, Jesus, should we call fire down on this city for not receiving our message? Somebody say amen. Amen. What we need are the people that disagree with us. We need to be able to call fire down on them and put the fear of God back into them. You ever talk to anybody like this? Are you this person? Just sit for a moment. Don't get up and leave just yet. And Jesus turned to the two that said, should we call fire down? And he said, you do not know what spirit you are of. There's a political spirit that manifests in politically charged environments to get us to start dealing in the exact same things that we don't like about the groups that we don't agree with. And the people of Christ are called to a different way. The people of Christ are called to the Jesus way. And Jesus was full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, full of grace and truth. And how many of you have ever met some truth people before? I mean, they can tell you the truth like nobody's business. And they've never led anybody to Jesus in their entire life. Because to lead somebody to Jesus, you have to look like Jesus And you have to actually sound like Jesus and you have to paint the picture that Jesus painted. And Jesus didn't just paint a picture of truth. He also painted a picture of grace. How many of you met grace people with no truth? How's that working out for them? These are the peacekeeping Christians among us. Let's not say anything to offend. These are the ones that say, I just really think that politics isn't something we should talk about at church. Their Pastor Dwayne goes on his tirade again. That's just going to cause division. Let me tell you something. Jesus causes division all by himself. He said, if you thought I came to bring peace, no, I came to bring a sword and to divide mother from father. Say, whoa, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're the prince of peace and you didn't come to bring peace and we don't have our spiritual eyes open and we don't understand that Jesus came to bring peace to our hearts. There's this inward peace that comes from the Lord, but Jesus' way of living will cause division in your relationships, in people that don't agree with you. But see, the truth of it is, is that when these people reject you, defile you, hate you, speak all kinds of threats against you because you've got this inner peace from the Prince of Peace ruling and reigning, you don't recycle it back to them. They give you what they have, which is hate, intolerance, violence, persecution, prosecution and we release peace because the way that peacemakers work is in this way we say hate violence intolerance unhealthy communication breakdowns in relationships if you're a christian the way you make peace is you say all of those things are going to stop with me 
and peace is made. We don't keep peace by tiptoeing around hot button issues and never telling anybody the truth about what we know and what we believe in love. That's keeping the peace and at the end of the day, you're really just chicken. But making peace is being able to walk the road of Christ like whenever he's hanging on a cross and he's absorbing the hate, the violence, the intolerance of a current wicked and perverse age that he was living in, very similar to the crooked and perverse age that we live in today. And he absorbed this violence, this hate, this bigotry, this intolerance all into his person. And instead of doing what he said he had the ability to do in the Garden of Gethsemane, whenever Peter thought that he should take matters into his own hands and lob off the guy's ear, force. See, Peter made a decision to recycle violence and hate and intolerance. And Jesus said, no, Pete, my kingdom, that's not the way that it works. He took the man's ear and he healed him. Because Jesus' kind of justice is restorative. Jesus' kind of kingdom is you do good to those that persecute you. Jesus' kind of kingdom is you bless your enemies. Jesus' kind of kingdom is I spend time praying for the people that my flesh is tempted to hate. And I pray that their eyes would be open to the truth and that the truth would set them free. Because that's somebody's son. That's somebody's daughter. A grandma has been praying for that particular person. And I have a decision. I can either keep the peace and never speak truth and allow things into my heart that now start to conflict and change my character. And I'm losing the battleground of my heart. Or I can make a choice to release what's in my heart, which is truth in love, grace, and truth. And people get offended. They get offended. But at the end of the day, that offense is going to stop with me. And when they leave my presence or they leave that visit or they march and they protest and talk about how evil I am, my response is going to be that in which the manner of my Lord's was, which is, Father, forgive them. They don't know, they don't know what they're doing. He told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, don't you know that I could at a moment ask my father to send 10,000 legions of angels and there would be no more Roman Empire? He said, but this cup, interesting phrase, this cup that my father has for me. Pete, do you think I shouldn't drink it? I love what I heard Jason Upton, uh, one of my favorite worship leaders, say. He said, true freedom is being able to look your accuser, your enemy in the face and say, you're a cup to be received from my father. See, Jesus lives so free. He's the freest person to ever live. Jesus didn't get all twisted about some of the things that we get twisted about. Jesus stood up for truth and called people hypocrites and vipers. And he clearly was able to discern what was right and was wrong. But you see, Jesus had this uncanny way of living from heaven toward earth. And no matter what politically charged climate he was in, no matter what religious climate he was in, Jesus had a way of exercising the freedom of heaven and it was threatening to the powers of darkness because Jesus was in it for the long haul Jesus wasn't in it just until the election came out the way that he wanted it to Jesus didn't throw in the towel because things weren't happening as quickly as he wanted them to Jesus didn't throw fits Jesus built himself up in his most holy faith and that's why I love what Isaiah says about Jesus. He says that Jesus 
has this government that's upon his shoulders that he carries. And at the increase of his government, there will be no more end. I got news for you. There's a day coming when Jesus busts the sky open from the east to the west that there'll be no more donkeys or elephants. But there will be a son of God on a white horse. And his name is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And praise God that we live in a country and time where we can exercise our vote and we can exercise free speech. And I totally believe in speaking for those values and upholding those values. But what I'm not for is whenever I see brothers and sisters that lose faith and trust in God because of negative results in an election. Proverbs says that if your strength fails you in the day of adversity, what kind of strength do you really have? But there's this battleground for our heart. There's this battleground that's going on whenever people don't respond the way we want them to, whenever our politics don't manifest the way that we want them to, whenever things at work aren't going the way that we want them to. And I think what's a sure sign of whether or not we're a solid disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is whenever external factors don't sway us from following the leading of his lordship. What I think allows us to keep and to win the fight for our heart is whenever we make a decision to allow ourselves, no matter what's going on in the culture around us, to stay full in our hearts of what Christ's heart was filled with, and that's grace and truth. See, a political spirit at work in our lives will get us to abandon grace and truth and lead us in a place now and get us to abandon wisdom and discernment and get us into a place that we operate out of fear and suspicion. I don't know if you know this or not, but fear, demonic fear, is not from God. So whenever I see things in a highly uh, politically charged climate, and I immediately get fearful, demonically fearful, oh my God, what's going to happen? It's all going to be over. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose that. We have to take a moment and pause and ask ourselves the question if we remember that God's not given us a spirit of fear. And the peace of God is not dependent on who's in office. The peace of God is not dependent on who controls the House and the Senate. The peace of God is all dependent upon who's securely seated on the throne. And if there's a company of people that will live consistently and confidently underneath his lordship, you better believe that things in our present age will change. The way that 250 years after Jesus was on the scene with the Roman Empire, the whole empire converts to Christianity. Why? Because if we're going to win this warfare, this spiritual fight for our heart and for the hearts of others, because you see, it's not just your heart on the line, it's other people's hearts on the line. How many of you believe you know that God is after winning people's hearts? Because the only way he can change a person is from the inside out. And the only way God can change a country is from the inside out. And in a time and a demonically politicized climate in which it's us versus them and people screaming and debating and yelling and cussing and clawing and gnashing, there's supposed to be this prophetic community called the church that's securely, peacefully, confident in thy kingdom come and thy will be done in Washington, D.C. as it is in heaven. Supposed to be this group of people that are calm, cool, and collected call the church that say, no, we won't bow to that golden image. 
Because what happens when you put on fire people in the fire is nothing. <laughs> we got to learn to burn for a passion with a passion for God. And not allow ourselves to burn with offense and suspicion and fear because of the leading of a political spirit. I love what Peter says in his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. I love it. He's tired of writing, kind of like I'm tired of preaching tonight. He says, finally, all of you, who's you? Church, finally, all of you. So what do we need in this hour of things being uncertain for nation's future, things being uncertain for what this change in leadership in certain areas of our government, what, what, what do we do in a time when we're just not sure? What do we do in a time when there's a lot of uncertainty? What will we do in a time when different things are trying to grab a hold of our hearts? What do we do in a time when we look into the future that some of you think about what world your grandchildren will inherit and it fills you with fear, something's trying to grab your heart. Some of us, when we look at the way that elections go and we allow ourselves to just say there's no hope and we allow the media to control our emotions more than the Holy Spirit and there's a battleground going in our heart when we allow our relationships that might currently be falling apart and we allow disagreements going on in the workplace to now make it uncomfortable for us to go to work even though we're the ones in the right. Have you noticed that whenever people are in the right and they take a stand for righteousness in the workplace, it's never the people that are pursuing evil that are uncomfortable being at work. It's the people pursuing good. Something's trying to grab hold of your heart. Something's trying to get you to back up and back down from that area that God's called you to occupy. And you're not supposed to occupy that position angrily and based upon protest and wagging your self-righteous finger in people's faces, you're actually supposed to posture yourself in a place of humility, in a place of reverence, in a place of being so connected to the love of God that you shame your accusers. As Jesus shamed Pilate, and to be honest with you, the way that Jesus shamed Pilate was through his silence. Pilate thought he had all the power. He said, don't you know who I am, Jesus? Don't you know what kind of political weight I carry? Don't you know what authority I have? He said, it's my decision whether or not you go or you stay. So tell me, are you who you say you are? Isaiah said that Jesus was led like a sheep to the slaughter, that he didn't even open his mouth to defend himself. How does Jesus release that kind of a peace into a demonically charged political climate, a demonically charged religious climate? How does Jesus take that kind of a stand? Because, yeah, Jesus was dying on the cross, but he had made a decision to live somewhere else. And sometimes I just wonder, as the church of Jesus Christ, if we understand where we're supposed to live from. Sometimes I really, un- I really wonder if we really understand that we're citizens of heaven. Sometimes I really wonder if we really understand that we're from a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Sometimes I really wonder 
if we understand that this battleground for our heart, that when evil comes to try to deposit fear, when evil comes to try to deposit worry, when evil comes to try to deposit offense, when evil comes to try to get us to release ground that's been given to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus, that evil would find no ground to claim because we've made a decision to give it all to the Lord. So we need a word in an uncertain time. Peter says, finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, not a hard one, not a calloused one, not an offended one. Do not pay, repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. When you're reviled, don't revile. When evil's thrown at you, don't regurgitate it back. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you, might, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, in an uncertain time, man, what we really all want, and what we want things to go the way we want them to, is because we all want to desire to live and see good days, Amen. So notice that this very next thing that Peter says here, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him be totally controlled by the results of the general election on November the 6th. (laughs) Let him totally be controlled by what legislation passed and let his hope be built on who's in the Supreme Court. And no, no, he said this, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Because in a time where there's so much evil and so much deceit spewed to us across airwaves. See, the devil's the prince of the power of the air. The reason why the devil has such a heavy hand in news outlets is because he controls the air that way. And the reason why the enemy has such a heavy hand in entertainment is because he controls the air that way. And the reason why the devil has such a heavy hand in music is because he controls the air that way. And I would just like to see a group of people that understand their spiritual authority to say, you know what, we're going to release a song and it's going to be one of praise, not problem. We're going to release a noise and it's going to be one of blessing, not cursing. We're going to make a decision to say that regardless of election results, election results, results, we believe that this country was founded on Christian principles and on the word of God. And in Isaiah it says when God's word is sent out, it will not return into a void. It will accomplish what it was sent out to do. So I don't care that I'm not seeing it exactly the way I want to see it right now. I'm going to fight the fight of faith. I'm going to realize that there's a real spiritual enemy going on. And the only way that I lose this fight is if I give him ground on my heart that he's not supposed to have. So I'm going to make a decision to say regardless of what I see, regardless of what I feel, regardless Regardless of it not manifesting the way that I want it to, God still can, through his people, bless my family. God still can, through his people, bless my city. God still can, through his people, bless my state. God still can, through his people, bless my country. So who wants to... Have a good life and see good days. Make sure that what's going on in the culture around you doesn't end up in the culture within you. Do not repay evil for evil. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. 
For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Not all the time is my vote heard in the way that I want it to, but my prayer always is. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Man, this sounds to me like there's just no way for a Christian to lose. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, put your hand on your heart and say, in my heart, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Notice it didn't say, take heart because the person that you want in office is in office. Take heart because the prince that you've trusted in is fighting your fight. No, it says, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord, as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Men, Christians, whoever's listening to this later on on the podcast, listen, your voice is needed in this hour, but it's needed in Christ's tone. You are called to take a stand in this hour, but it's needed in Christ's tone. What did Jesus, what did, what did Peter say? Anybody that asks you for the hope that's in you, anybody asks you why you're living the way you are, anybody asks you why you believe the way that you do, be prepared to make a case for Christ, but do it in a Christ-like manner with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience. So that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Too many Christians put themselves to shame by falling under the leading of a political spirit instead of the Holy Spirit. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Look at what Paul has to say. Acts 7, sorry, Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Reap with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. Let me tell you something. We're coming to a place in our culture where Christians are going to have to understand what the call of Christ is all about. Because whenever Christians think that it's okay if things don't go the way they want it to, that the backup plan is to take matters into their own hands and to execute vengeance in their own form of justice. Have you ever talked to brothers and sisters like this before? Well, if push really comes to shove, what are you planning to do if push really comes to shove? Jesus said, repay no one. Paul said, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Behold, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. You ever say the whole, my dad can beat up your dad? 
I don't have an axe to grind with anybody. You know why? My dad can beat up their dad. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary. Check this out. How does the world change? Amen. It is good. It is good. Kids know truth. We just all need to be like kids. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. How do you know if you're winning the fight for your heart? If you'd be willing to feed your enemy. Who's your enemy? Whoever you hate. Whoever disagrees with you the most. Whoever you don't want to be around. How do you know if you're winning the fight of your heart and for your heart? If your enemy's hungry, would you feed him? If he's thirsty, would you give him something to drink? Not poison, preferably. Listen to this. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Next week, I want to spend some time giving you two real-life applications of people that won and continue to win in their lifetime the fight for their heart. I'm going to bring you an example through Stephen the martyr and the Apostle Paul. It was in my notes for today, but I just can't get there in the amount of time that's left. So I pray that we can come back together next week and we can look at some real-life examples of what it means to stand boldly in the midst of perilous times. And as a shepherd that's been charged by the Lord to keep watch over your souls, my admonition and encouragement to you is this. Keep your love turned on. Keep your knee bowed to the Prince of Peace. If anybody asks you or claims that you're following Jesus and doing what you're doing is intolerant, it's hate speech, it's ridiculous, all the things that we hear in the culture today, be prepared to give an account. Be prepared to give a defense for why you believe what you believe, why you uphold the Word of God. But do it in a way that Christ would be proud of. Do it in a way that brings honor and glory to the name of Jesus. Do it in a way that puts your enemies to shame because when hate, violence, and offense comes your way, it doesn't go past you. You absorb it and you release it as something beautiful into the world. Jesus took the most destructive, cruel instrument of torture and because he chose to recycle Hate and violence is peace and forgiveness into the world. People now wear it as gold jewelry around their neck. It's now a symbol and an object of purity and beauty. Whenever somebody sold out to the word of God and rooted in the ways of the kingdom makes a choice to live in such a way that their death comes through cruel and violent mean. When somebody that's sold out to the kingdom, when someone that's sold out to heaven's agenda touches even the most ugly, dark, horrific thing in society, God's able to bring beauty out of it. And it's that beauty that has the potential to save the world. 
It's that beauty that led to the soldier that pierced Jesus' side to say, surely this man was the Son of God. When he pierced his side, blood and water came out. When people poke at you, people accuse you, revile you, people disagree with you, call you names, what comes out of you? What came out of Jesus was two things, blood and water. The water is symbolic of the thing that was able to make them physically clean. And the blood was something that was able to make them spiritually clean. In the midst of hostile resistance, Jesus chose to release what they needed to be saved. When hostile resistance comes in the face of your life, what comes out of you? The answer will reveal what's in your heart and whether or not you're winning the fight for your heart. Stand up if you want to win the fight for your heart. Father, thank you for these precious brothers and sisters in the house tonight. I pray that in the manner of Christ and in the manner of the apostles, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we could boldly declare to a dark world that Jesus is the light. Father, that we would do so in a way that would make more people hungry than angry. Father, we know that division comes just from speaking the word of truth, but Father, I pray that in the midst of that division that we would be committed to be preservers of unity. That you would teach us by your Holy Spirit how to disagree agreeably with people. That you would teach us the way of Christ, which is absorbing hate, violence, and intolerance and recycling something different into the world. In the spiritual fight that we're fighting, God, I pray that we would defend the ground of our heart that's been bought back by you. We wouldn't give an inch of it to the enemy's schemes. We allow our hearts to be so filled with the passion of God that it's not able to be politicized. Jesus, that you give us the courage of our convictions, that your passion would act like a filter in our relationships, passion for you would act like a filter in our politics, passion for you would act like a filter to our worldview and the way we see the people around us. Father, I pray that more than what we see around us, I pray that people see Christ in us. And that your goodness would lead many to repentance. And that in the darkest of times is when light is the most noticeable. Help us to be blazing lights for the Lord Jesus Christ in this hour. That we stand for truth, but walk in grace. All for the glory of your name. Somebody give Jesus praise. Hallelujah.